Good morning. Herb, Oscar, Anderson. Again, and welcome back to the return of the morning mayor season two. Yay! It's hard to believe. Unbelievable. You can't see the confetti, but it's flowing. It's it's flying. The, the ladies just came in here with a bottle of champagne and smashed it on the table, and they are out of control today. Suzanne and Carla, how are you? Very good. Happy to be back. Yeah. It's been a did you have a good little good little hiatus there for a minute? For about a minute, yeah. For about a minute, <laughs> that's about all we got out of it. So there's a there's a there's a buzzword that you guys have been talking about that I was not a part of to hear about these conversations. So you're gonna have to bring me up to speed and the rest of our listeners. Which thank you by the way for listening to this podcast. We appreciate it more than you know. But the Brill Building. Now it was funny. We were texting back and forth. Um, and you said record intro and brill, and I thought that brill was a verb, so I found myself okay like looking up or an adjective like looking it up on on brill. Google. Yeah, you're uh, you're not hip. No, you're not hip. You're not with the groovy scene. You don't know anything, I guess. Well, learn me about the brill. Okay, the brill. Well, in season two, Sue, wouldn't you agree that the brill building is a huge? Theme, that, underlying theme. Yes, yeah. huge, huge. So Sue and I were like the Brill Building, and and actually we went to see Carol King's Broadway play, which takes place Beautiful. in in the Brill Building. So what is the Brill Building? Well, uh, the Brill Building is located in sixteen uh, nineteen Broadway and Forty Ninth Street. It's north of Times Square, and there's also another address that is very important: sixteen fifty. Aladon Music, which has been there for decades. So right there, that little area of New York City was the mecca for music. Back in the 60s. Yeah. And those buildings are still there, but I believe in a different capacity. Right. I don't know if one's a bank now or what they are, but they're not They're not what they were back I th- then. I think there's a CVS in the bottom Something, of the Brill yeah, Building. Yeah. So, John, that is what the Brill Building is. It was actually the last stand for Tin Pan Alley. Now, do you know what Tin Pan Alley is? Tin pan or ten pin? Tin pan. Tin pan. Tin tin pan alley. Is it a bowling alley? John. No. no I'm John, sorry. You might John get fired after this episode. You're way out of <laughs> I don't Just know. Kidding. I don't I, know. I have to admit I didn't know either. You didn't know? Okay. No, not at the beginning. Not I could Google it and pretend I know the answer, okay. but but tell me, but, tell okay. me, Carla, what is the tin pan in, alley? In the nineteenth the late nineteenth century, all the way until the twentieth century. Uh, that was a place for music publishers and songwriters, such as, these are big names, hopefully you'll know them, I don't want to get you upset, John, if you don't, but Irving Berlin, do you know who that is? No. Yes. What do I do when I am missing you and I am blue? What do I do? Big, huge song, John. Look it up. And George Gershwin. I know who George Gershwin is. Sue? Yes. Okay. So there we go. So sheet music was huge publishers. And these guys were just churning out these songs. And what happened? Do you have any idea what happened to Tin Pan Alley? Does anybody know? It, well, I know um, it didn't burn down because it's still there. So I don't know what happened to it. They 
had a surplus load of tin pans and kept them out in the alley? I don't know. What do they do? No. Actually, the tin pan alley, like anything else, was passed by by technology. So the movies, the radio, and the phonograph. So the tin pan alley sort of went by the wayside. Hmm. There was no need for sheet music anymore. They took it back in the alley. Yeah, they, yeah, really. It was. Is it my, literally in an my, alley? No, my it's a building. No, it's a building. You can look it up. Yeah, and John, my brother, who you interviewed, and mm-hmm. my mother and father actually went to uh, Tin Pan Alley when uh, Mrs. Louis Armstrong was there, and they put up a plaque on these buildings that this is Tin Pan Alley. So there is a place that you can go to New York City and see where these fabulous songs, John, were written. So after that, so we fast forward to the 60s, right? Well, actually the 50s. Before the 50s. They say the Tin Pan Alley lasted a little bit longer, but basically what happened in 1931, the Brill Brothers bought this building, okay? Different building. No, the Brill building. Oh. The Brill Brothers. But they didn't buy Tin Pan Alley building. No. The Brill building was a different building. Right. But in 1931, what was happening in 1931? Depression. Thank you, Sue. John, you're slow on the draw. I'm just listening. Okay. 1931, they bought this building and they had a, a, a men's clothing store, but nothing was happening. The depression. So they rented it out and they rented it out to the music people. I guess, you know, that's all the people that would rent it. And by 1962, they had 165 music businesses that occupied that building. So you can see it's publishers, it's managers, it's, uh, producers, I guess, produce radio. Produce, yes. Everything that you could want is in that, in that building. So after Tin Pan Alley, it sort of fizzled away. And then all of a sudden it, came to be in the Brill Building just because of the Depression. They had to rent places and bingo, there you go. You've got this huge... Music mecca, music mecca of the 60s, right? Yeah. I mean, mean, you can't say anything else. It was just... People would go. So, you know, I know some of the performers that we'll talk to here in season two actually were there and they know of it and they participated, um, but they just describe it as just this certainly a time gone by because you can't do it these days, but people would just come in off the street. I mean, many, many of these performers were in their teens. I mean, 16, 17, they came in, they'd record a song either there or in a garage someplace and they'd walk in down the hall and bring it to someone, knock on the door and say, do you want to hear this? I think there was also the song. So, you know, there's songwriters and then there are uh, people that write the music, the words, the lyrics, Mm -hmm. and then there are people that write the the melody or the sound and they would collaborate. So there was a lot of collaboration going on there, but there were people just sitting like in the hallways. I guess, I think Rondante mentioned uh, that, you know, just the sound on the first floor because it was tiled, had really good acoustics. So these people would just be sitting on the floor like singing songs and uh, and there you have it. They had a record. It was the most prestigious address for music in New York City and probably in, in the whole United States. The Brill Building, and that address was where you wanted to have your business set up. Um, so there was a lot of famous musicians who worked in the Brill Building before they were singers. Uh, a lot of them, uh, you know, Carol King, as we stated before, she worked there. I think she was still in high school when she started working in the Brill Building. And I think she also was. There was the other building across. Was it? What was the other? That building? was Aladon. That was sixteen fifty. Okay. That was right across the way, and that was that was there forever. Okay. As well as the Brill Building. 
And uh, Carol King, as I said, and then she wrote, I think she married him. Jerry, Jerry, Jerry yeah. Goffin. Didn't yeah. she marry him? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she started when she was in high school. And, and I, I, again, you know, I look at kids now in high school, I'm thinking, hmm, could you? <laughs> yeah, it's just a different time. And, you know, a marriage. Yeah. 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 They probably were married and working. Now, Dee Dee from the Crystals, who we'll speak with as well, I can't remember, was she... Uh, well, actually, she found, uh, they went in and uh, somebody picked songs for her from there, but she was in the Brill Building as well. I mean, everybody was in the Brill Building. Uh, you, it, it was just like a rite of passage. They went to the Brill Building, they found music, or they found a producer, or they found an agent, or or whatever. But the biggest song that came out of the Brill Building was a song by the Shirelles, which I was corrected by Dee Dee in our interview when I said, <laughs> well, you were the number one girl group. And she said, oh, no, it was the Shirelles. And the biggest song that came out of the Brill Building was Will You Still Love Me Tomorrow. Oh, I know that song. Okay. Sing it, John. Finally. Will you still love me tomorrow? Yeah, yeah. Okay. See, so, I know it. So that is the biggest song considered that ever came out of that whole factory. And that's the thing where they like they would like run up and down the hallway, they'd cut each part of it and put it together and give it to the producer, and then they would make an actual record in the building, right? They right. pressed everything. it right there. They everything. everything there. It was a one-stop shop for music production. And Neil Diamond was yes. there, yes. And, and Neil Neil Sedaka, and I guess it was quoted that August night with the leaves oh, hanging John. down and the grass on the ground you smelling go. sweet. Oh my so goodness. I have a question, and I'm going to put you on the spot because maybe you all cannot answer it, which is fine. Oh, that's encouraging. But I get confused every time we talk. So you have, there is a producer. Mm-hmm. So a producer, if I produce a record, mm-hmm. that means. Someone else wrote it, maybe, maybe not. There's someone else saying it, but I find these two people and put them together, collaborate the bands, whatever it may be, but I'm the producer. You I'm put it all together. Putting the band together, putting it all together, paying for the production, possibly whatever it may be. That, that's a producer. Mm-hmm. Now, a record label is capital. Right. Buddha. So if I'm part of capital records. So that's distribution. So that's distribution. Mm-hmm. So they would press, press it. Mm-hmm ship it and they owned it put in a little sleeve and it was on their name and they owned it then Mm -hmm. they own the rights to it most likely that's always the thing you know it was um it was all about as as the late prince pointed out he said you have to own your masters that's the only way you make money if you don't own your masters you will not make money at all basically that's what you're hearing the publisher okay so let's get into this so again i don't expect you all to know this but this is sort of interesting to me and it's uh i can't quite register all of it in my head clearly so a music publisher, you got a publisher, not mm-hmm. a producer. So I think, I believe the publisher invests in the songwriters and the composers. They, I think they buy it. And they control yeah. the musical compositions where, I'm reading this definition, whereas a rec- record company invests in artists and controls master recordings. So I'm not really sure what that means. Well, the master is where all the money is. Okay. What is a master? What does that mean? Like the, they have like the, they, they own, they own the music. They have the original recording and they own it's, it's right to them. They have it. Okay. So then, so I think part of this, you know, we've learned and I'm sorry if this is repetitive someplace else where we spoke, but a lot of these artists, I guess would not necessarily make money every time their song is played. 
because yeah. that money would go to the publisher, I believe. But well, then, no, the artists royalties. get a cut. They get a, like a royalty. Yeah, right, yeah, right, a right. little bit of royalty. But their big deal, their big money is, is concerts. concerts. Right. That's why that's they went on why concerts. That's why they go on a tour. That's, that's why they go. That's where they made their money was right. the concerts. And that's why I think in the 1964 or whatever it changed is that the artists started writing their own music. Okay. Or like Burt Bacharach, he was another one who worked in the Brill Building. Um, you know, he wrote a lot of music for Diane Warwick and... Um, Dion. Is it Dion or Dion? Dion, Dion, Dion Warwick. Yeah. Dion Warwick. Speaking of concerts, side note, you know, I was telling you ladies I was working at a flea market last weekend and I picked up an original Woodstock ticket. Oh, wow. Framed, signed by the original promoters. Okay. And it's a 1969, right, Woodstock ticket for Saturday, for the Saturday show. That's kind of... I didn't think it was real. Person that had it appeared to be having a hard life, <laughs> and uh, I traded them a old Coleman lantern for the ticket, and they took it. No, oh. they took it for the ticket, and uh, I now have I own a piece of music history. It's hanging on my wall. Yeah, that's a keeper with a COA and everything. Yeah, don't get rid of that Woodstock ticket. I'm surprised it made it out alive. I was just going to say, are you sure? I would think it'd be, <laughs> it'd be covered soggy in soggy and wet. wet, and wet. Well, no, I think it was like, I don't know how, I guess they must have just had some that were never used, obviously, or left over that they never gave and that were never bought. Yeah, oh. yeah so, because a lot of people just, you know, went. pushed down the <laughs> exactly, and then they went. Now I'll cut this out, but have you watched the, uh, the Netflix documentary on Woodstock 99? Yes. 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 What do you think of that? Yeah, I mean, what a, it was a mess. What yes. a failure as far as like, if that guy hadn't cut all the money out of security and bathrooms and everything uh, else, it would have been fine. The water, right. the drinking. Uh, they were drinking. The, the poor girl had trench mouth when uh -huh. she woke up. How about different subject, but did you see fire? Did you watch fire? Oh, the fire festival? Oh, yes. And when they were eating uh, like two I started. Things. I started watching it, but it was just about, it was worse than Woodstock 99. Yeah. It was worse than that. Yeah. It's supposed to be high class and they're oh getting my God. like a Oh, $5,000 tickets, right? Or they had all kinds of crazy what stuff. And oh, they man. Just had the, they had the tents not even set up, no beds in them, right? Yeah, it was crazy. Anyway. Uh, all right. I'll, so, I'll all right. Out. So, um, to go back to some of the people, uh, some of the hits that came out and maybe John can maybe hum a few bars cause he's got quite talented pipes to sing. The chiffon sang one fine day. One fine day. One fine day. That one. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, take good care of my baby by Bobby V. No. Take good care of my... Every song sounds the same, if you notice. <laughs> it's <laughs> no, got the same melody. It. It was Did I have the right tune for One Fine Day, though? Yeah, All One right. Fine Day. How about this one? The Shangri-Las, Leader of the Pack. Oh, oh Leader yeah. of the Pack. Yeah, of course I know that one. Yeah, okay. who doesn't? Yeah, and Elvis, Jailhouse Rock. Oh, Elvis was yeah. there, too? Yeah. Mm. Uh, walk, on, walk on by... Walk, walk on by, by. don't stop, but don't, just don't look back. Was that right? the on no. Yeah, no, was, I think you have the wrong song. Oh, hold on. No. Now I got to find it. Uh, okay, what about the cat? Uh, the Carpenters Close to You, mm -hmm. Just Like Me, uh, Long to... Oh, John, I'm sorry, that's not your job. I know it. Okay, here we go. Tom Jones and my brother mentioned this song 
What's new, pussycat? Of course. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Now, Dion Warg was walk on by. Yes. Yeah. And I. That's Burt Bacharach. So I'm looking here. Are we? Are we? Um... Now, Aretha Franklin, did she cover this? No. I don't think so. All no. right, so we can go Hold back on. To this lingo cover would mean the original one. Is that a cover? Cover, or cover, is, no, cover, cover band, band is after. Yeah, after, right. After, yeah. after. Okay. 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 Just, she covered it. So who covered who? Diane. Dion Warwick had it first. That's the first one. Isaac Hayes covered it as well. No. Are we um yeah we're still there? no anyway. we're still taping okay oh, so sorry everyone uh, <laughs> I do you apologize to <laughs> okay uh, the Beatles actually uh, <laughs> the Beatles in 1963 used to take a lot of the songs from the girl groups the Beatles took them yeah what do you mean they like covered them yeah they covered them <laughs> over yeah they took a lot of the songs for the girls group because you got to remember in this early 60s the girl groups were supreme i mean not the supremes but they ran they were big the girl groups very 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 big so sue you know i've got a, I've got a little roster here i guess you would call it so again you'll hear this name mentioned uh quite a bit in the next few episodes but don Kirshner. yes aldon music mm-hmm. i think he was across the street but i'm not sure yes I, he was he was and then phil specter who Boo. no one really had much to say good about that we'll just listen to um, dd so anyway, that was that, and um, and then you've got so so those were the uh, producers, and then some of the songwriters included uh, Jeff Barry, Ellie Greenwich, Jerry Goffin, Carol King, Howard Greenfield, Neil Sedaka, Jerry Lieb- Lieber, Mike Stoller. They were West Coast that came East Coast. Okay, Barry Mann, Cynthia Well, Doc Pomus. Mort Schumann, Bert Bacharach, 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 how do you say his name? Bacharach. Bacharach, and Hal David. But those are obviously names that we've all heard, and and you'll hear a little bit of people speaking about them uh, Mm. as we go. Yeah. And did you know, John, that we had an American sound? Did you know that? Like a sound that an American that, that sound. sums up Americans. No, that we actually right, Sue. Yeah, before before the British invasion, it was that period of time. Uh, I guess late fifties, or did it start in the sixties? So like the Elvis era. No, uh, Elvis no. was before. That was um, not considered. It is basically our sound that was influenced by Latin, black gospel, and R and B. That was our well. Sound. That, American Sam. Well, I think it's yeah. that's pretty awesome. Yeah, and yeah. but we lost it in uh, 64, 65. Wait, that <laughs> country heard. music ruined it. No, no the I'm Beatles. just joking. Beatles. I'm joking. The I'm Beatles. joking. Yes. So Beatles. that was pretty much. Uh, so uh, you know, we talk about how impossible it was, but can you imagine being 15, 14, walking into this building where all these hits come out of? And I just want to sort of go through what it was like. Let's say, Sue, you had a song in your hand. Mm -hmm. You had a song in your heart. And you wanted to get that song made into it. So you you walk right in. I can't can't imagine. Nowadays, it's like... uh, like Ron Dante said, it's like robbing a bank. You yeah. can't get in there. Can't get in. So you walk in and there you try to sell it. Mm-hmm. You, you just say, hey, I've got a song and I want you to hear it. I think it's a great song. 
uh, then if somebody does buy it or you don't have any luck, you could get a lead sheet. And do you know what a lead no, sheet is? No, what's a lead sheet? A lead sheet is basically just the bare bones of your song on paper. Like on a napkin thing? No, well, you know, you've seen music, sheet music. Mm-hmm. So, oh, like yeah, the little musical yeah. notes. But it's just the bare bones of mm-hmm. your song. So you can get that for $10, which is a pretty good deal, I think. Now, when you say get that, does that mean you write it down? Or $10 you and, sorry. You sell it, you get it, or you, like, because I know in the building there were actually, you know, people sitting on the floor writing, right. singing, but down the hall there could be Carol King had her piano, and someone would go, okay, play this one. I mean, so when you but say... But no, this is you, Sue. You go in, you have a song, you're going to try to sell it, you pay $10, and you get it made into a lead sheet, and then you go and you try to you try to sell it, okay? okay. You go try to sell it. So then you decide, okay, well, somebody's interested in it, and you're going to make a demo. So they have a demo studio so there. So I'm all in the same building still. All in the same building. Mm-hmm. So then you hire singers and musicians to play your song. That, mm-hmm. And they're just hanging out because there's so many people that are coming through this building. They're just there. They're just like there. A, yeah. So you have your mus- musicians and your singers there. So, uh, and then you just, you make that demo and then you shop it around to music publishers or managers or record companies. Who also could be in the same building. They're like you all might go in down in the hall and knock on a door and. Right. And there you go. There's, there's Buddha. Don I, is in there. I, I, what, what, who, uh, yes. <laughs> or he's in the other so, building. So Phil. $10. In 1962, yes. Would you like to guess what that's worth today? Hundred dollars. Five hundred. Well, one at a time. You said five hundred. I did. That's incorrect. Carla, a hundred. Hundred and one dollars and three cents. Yeah, there we go. Okay, but so, that's not bad though. That so ten dollars back then, isn't that crazy? Mm-hmm. Wow. So if you had ten bucks in the bank back in '62, it's worth a hundred bucks today. Yeah. It's fifty plus year, fifty-one years ago. No, no, no. So sixty, seventy, no, sixty, sixty-three years. Ago. I can't even do math. <laughs> there we go. Sixty-three <laughs> years ago. Okay. You so the last, and shoot me. I'm the not. last step, Sue. The last mm-hmm. step is that if you struck a deal, you could find radio promoters who would then push your record out onto the radio. To the DJ. Correct. Right. So it was one-stop shopping. You could go in there and then, you know, I don't know exactly what the time was, but I remember Father Phil said that downstairs Jim. in the basement. Father Jim. Father Jim, excuse me, Father, <laughs> yeah. Could press, uh, you know, a, a 45 right there and they could just push it right out. Now, to, just to bring this back to your dad, so so in that case, let's just say, they did all the things you just mentioned, and mm-hmm. I have this 45 pressed. Right. Uh, can I run it down to WABC and run it upstairs and see if they'll play it? it see, because of Paola? No. No. In, in the 1960s, because of Alan Freed, that ended all that. But well, but the WABC, they did get together, as we did discuss. Once a week, the DJs all got together to decide what, what music to play. What they were but who play. would bring that music to them? Uh, that radio man, that, that radio, radio pusher guy. Radio man. Yeah. Okay. He would go and he would try to get it, it played and try to push, push the song. So not to get off on a tangent, but if for two seconds, what, what was the Alan Freed things? I know you've mentioned it a few times throughout this, but I don't really know what that was. Well, they took John. Alan Freed. Yeah. Are you familiar? No. Okay, well, he was, I thought, John, you were going to, I gave you a whole opportunity to jump in there. Listen, I don't, I don't know who he is. I'm not going to pretend. He was the disc jockey who took Paola to play music. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, so that 
the song was constantly played and what happens when the song is played people buy it even if it was a real dog they figure it was on the radio and you so they got caught and also i think dick clark was involved in it in some way too that he was brought up but because dick clark was a very clean cut looking gentleman uh he sort of got away with and i'm not saying he did anything but i know he was brought up as well but alan freed sort of had a pretty rough life. I think he was an alcoholic. He was just sort of... After this pale skin? No, this was during it. And uh, he just sort of looked the part more. That's what they said. And so he was in in In, trouble. trouble. And where did he work? Do you know where, what radio was on? I'm not sure. I don't, I'm not sure where he was. John, you can look at it. I I can look it up. Uh, No, it doesn't matter. I'm just curious. Yeah. So he was, it was those two that were brought up about taking bribes for playing music. And that's why WABC had a very short playlist. They created their own playlist and the disc jockeys talked about it. And there was a secretary sitting there who was taking notes as well as the, you know, the head honcho and everything was on board. There was no, um, somebody sliding a record in that you play it. So everything was very legit. Right, right. And I was Mm -hmm. talking to another lady who was, did a, a show about another disc jockey and she was saying that, oh yeah, he played a lot of the band's albums and records. And I thought, oh, I wonder if that was because you couldn't, you couldn't do it. I mean, that changed everything. My dad got a shirt once and they were like, oh, payola, payola. And my dad was like, well, listen, I'm a, an extra large and this is a size small, so I don't think so. But no, you couldn't accept anything. And I think, John, you and I talked about that before. Yeah, I told you a story. I think you'll actually hear it in Joe Condon's episode where I talked yeah. about uh, getting Carabas. Carabas just sent me a yeah. chicken trio just to give him a mention for lunch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but no. So no, none of that. Okay. So Thank I, you. I thought the Brill Building... I think you'll hear a lot about it with each one of these people that we interview. And uh, good to know a little bit about the history yeah. there. So thanks so for the history all, lesson. Yeah. Well, I don't know if it's well, 100% accurate, but it's close a enough. little information. There so, we go. There we go. All right. We're kicking off season two. We can't wait. Oh, we got to do the happy feeling one more time. Do you remember? <laughs> All right, let's do it, everybody, one more time. When I was a little feller, my papa used to say to me. If you're hearing my voice right now, there's a good chance you want to hear more about HOA. The story of the man behind the morning mayor is one that certainly needs to be told, and a goal is to have this story made into a movie. The script is written, and your support will help us get to the next level. If you feel motivated to do so, click the Donate button in the About section. All proceeds will go towards seeing the story of Herbert Oscar Anderson on the big screen. Goodbye, God bless, and I thank you so very much.